Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. The session will start in one minute. Okay, we can go ahead and get started. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. I'll be doing the conference call for today. Can you start us on our first question? Uh, Sorry. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for taking the call. So I had a question. Uh, I'm with company A and uh, last October I filed EB3 downgrade. Uh, I was an engineer at that time. And uh, in May, my I-140 was approved. So priority date, 2013 April. And in June, I switched roles to management. So manager of the same role, but essentially it's it's people manager role within the same company. And uh, we filed 485J because, you know, the 140 is approved and also H1B amendment and whatnot. So, uh, so now I'm in EB3, right? Um, currently EB2 dates have advanced and uh, my date is available to file uh, 485 in EB2. Um, but I'm not sure if we can do that because the company just stated, uh, you know, last uh, summer that they are going to hire me as a manager, you know, in the 485J using AC21. Uh, but at the same time, I also want to take advantage of EB2's forward movement. So is there any um, any way to, you know, handle this? I mean, that's what my lawyer says is, uh, you know, first of all, filing two 485s is, be, is not ideal. And then we just filed a 485J like literally in June. And then come December, if we file another 485 with a 485J, I mean, the intent might be at question. So. Yeah. So one thing is that just the fact of filing two I-485s in two separate preference categories that on its own is not a problem. We've done it many times, and I know there are some attorneys who um, who debate that, but just the fact of filing two I-485s in two separate categories on its own is not a problem. I would say, though, in your situation, it does have the added challenge of the recent job change with the, because the whole point of filing the I-485J supplement earlier this year was the company basically telling you CIS that your position now is kind of different enough from the one that was described in the I-140, different enough that they felt that they needed to file the J supplement, which they can after 180 days. It's not a problem. But then when you're wanting to file a new I-485 using the same perm where you basically do need to, the company at least would need to attest that they are offering you this same 
I-140 position, like not the one that was described in the J supplement earlier this year, basically the engineer position is what they would need to be offering you to file a new I-45. So that does add some challenge, I would say in your case. Um, if you were kind of in the same position and there wasn't any promotion or substantial job change, then it wouldn't be a problem to file another I-45 in the EB-2 category. I would say it could be a bit challenging in your case. Um, it'll be kind of up to your company and their attorney how much risk they want to take on. It's not impossible, but basically UCIS would need to be convinced that the company is still offering you the engineer position. Right, right. It's a question of optics. That's what I thought too. And exactly. Then and then, uh, uh, but but are there any ways to work around this problem? I mean, would the same problem come up during interfiling too, if it comes to that case? Yeah, it would. So um, your situation is one where the, even though you're with the same company, it's similar to a situation where you have basically moved to a different position with a different company. And in those cases, kind of our position so far, based on our reading of the guidance, is that it's not really possible to, or it's very difficult to move into another category when you've used AC21 after 180 days to move to a different position, even if it's in the same company um, as in your case. It's not impossible, but I would say it, it may not, it could be challenging. UCIS definitely could inquire into it, kind of the only way to do it safely was be if the company did a new perm, I would say, but they're likely not willing to do, unless they are willing to do a new perm for you for the manager role. Yeah, I mean, that, that shouldn't be a problem, uh, you know, budget-wise, but the problem would be in terms of calendar um, time and effort-wise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know it's not ideal, but I would say that would be the safest route, unfortunately, if you didn't want to look at it. Thank you. Next question. Neil? Hello. Hello. Hi. So I have a question regarding uh, the Ash 4 EAD. As mm -hmm. my I-140 is approved and is more than 180 days with my previous employer. And if I change my job to the new employer, so if my previous employer uh, revoked my I-140, am I able, my wife still able to use the EAD or not? Yes, she can. So as long as the I-140 remained approved for at least 180 days, actually, even if it was technically, even if it was less than 180 days, an existing EAD would not become invalid because it was, the I-140 was withdrawn. It mostly affects whether you can continue to use that I-140 for future applications for the H-4 EAD or future H-1B extensions. But as long as it was approved for at least 180 days, then yes, you can. And I can use it for the future approval too, right? Even if they revoke it? Yes, for future H-1B extensions. Mm -hmm. And EAD too? Yes. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Venkat? Hey, hi, Rebecca. Hello. Uh, I, this is Venkat. My H1 got approved this year and I'm planning to go to India for stamping. I got convicted for DUI in May 2019 and I took a deferred judgment. I completed the probation, the 48-hour program and paid fines. 
case got expunged. I know it's not considered expunged for immigration, but uh, for the record, my F1 visa back then got revoked. Now, how difficult is it to get the H1B visa stamping with a DUI? And is there anything else I have to go through other than the medical evaluation while I go for stamping? Yes, and, so I had, is... and I had to give my fingerprints at the time of this incident. So what consequences will I face at immigration while returning to the United States? Yeah, so it does sound like you are kind of aware of the main um, immigration consequences. Like you said, you will likely need to go through a medical exam for the H-1B visa stamping at the consulate, which normally you wouldn't need to. But um, beyond that, uh, from what we've heard, as long as you are truthful and upfront with the consulate about everything, you know, through the DS-160 in the interview and go through all the requirements of any um, uh, physician exams that you need to do as a requirement of that. Um, if it was a single incident or a single conviction and it was expunged, then from what we've heard, uh, it's hasn't been a problem to eventually get the H-1B visa stamp, but you will need to kind of go through those additional requirements. It may take a bit longer for them to process the actual visa, so I would be prepared for a longer than usual wait time, um, waiting for the decision from the consulate. But if you're prepared for all of that, then um, it should be doable. Upon re-entry, um, it may come up at Border Patrol um, on your record, but um, yeah, if you have all the documents showing kind of the court situation was resolved, then um, it shouldn't be a bar for you to enter the country. If it was a bar for you to enter the country, then they wouldn't even grant you the visa at the consulate. Okay. And what if I complete the immigration in Abu Dhabi? Like, uh, does it matter where I complete it or it doesn't even matter? Should be the same everywhere. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Next question. Ravin. Hello. Yes, Hello. Sorry. Hi. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for giving me the chance. Uh, I have a question regarding F visa. My son recently applied for F visa. He moved um, and it's been almost three to four months, but he still haven't heard anything from USCIS. So my question is, is there any way to expedite it? He is currently on H4 and waiting for F1. His advisor told him to go to India and uh, get this stamped. Okay, how old is he? He is 18. Okay. Um, so he filed the I-539 to change status from H4 to F1. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, yeah, that's not unusual. I would say um, the I-539 processing time is several months. I would say at least six months. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes closer to a year for the application to be processed. So um, as long as you got the receipt notice confirming that the I-539 was filed and you have that receipt number, um, that's pretty much all you can do at this time is just wait for the result. Um, we do know that the F-1 visa stamping is recommended by some school officials. Um, we normally don't recommend it, um, except in some limited circumstances. In your son's case, if he's 18 years old right now, then he's 
Um, it's a good thing that you filed it at this point, um, you know, when it's not too close to him turning 21. Um, I would say it should definitely go through well before he turns 21. So I would recommend not going to the consulate for the visa stamp. The reason for that is even though we have heard people having some success with that, first of all, the visa interviews, um, scheduling the interview could take a very long time anyway. On top of that, uh, for the F-1 visa stamping, technically it's still required to show that you have ties to your home country, which in your son's case is India, even though he most likely grew up here primarily. Yeah. It's difficult to show those ties for um, you know, a teenager. And so to avoid that issue, we normally recommend just doing the I-539 and just waiting for it to be processed, even though it will take several months. But it sounds like you started the process early enough, and so you should have plenty of time. I would just wait. So once he gets his F1 after that, can he start the internship immediately, or does he need to wait for some time before he start working? Uh, it depends on where he is in his academic program. So uh, for CPT, um, most Schools require that um, you have to be in at least your second year of the academic program to be eligible for CPT, which is curricular practical training. That's when they can work in an internship that, that gets them college level credit. For OPT work authorization, um, that's normally after they graduate, but there is some OPT that you can qualify for before they graduate. So it's normally not based on how long they've been in F1, but where they are in their degree program. So he can speak to his school's um, DSO about that, about which work authorization he might qualify for and when. So if I find my adjustment of status and he gets his EAD, should he continue with the H4 EAD or should he just switch to F1 altogether? Um, yeah, that's a bit trickier. I would say it will depend more on your priority dates and how long it may take for the actual green card to be issued or whether his age gets locked in. Um, a lot of times we recommend that families with kids who are close to turning 21, that they maintain their underlying age status in case the I-45 is not adjudicated or they, the priority date doesn't become current before they turn 21 to allow the child as much time to stay in age four as possible. In your case, I would probably recommend that you consult with an attorney for, mm -hmm. because it will depend on some specific calculations about your son's age, the priority dates, a lot of different factors to, to decide whether to do that. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Kirti? Hi, Rebecca. So I'm calling reg uh, regarding my visa status for my spouse. So my spouse is in uh, H-1B visa and I'm in L-1. So we raised the L-2 for him in May and it got approved uh, like August, but it had a mistake, mistake in the uh, change of status effective date. So uh, it was uh, approved from the date on which they approved instead of the uh, requested cost effective date. So, um, but in, in the meantime, he changed the employer and H-1B transfer was filed. But uh, the H-1B transfer got approved after uh, L-1, uh, sorry, L-2 approval. Okay. And um, so the last action was L uh, H-1B transfer approval. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, the L2 correction, right? It was made last in, uh, on November 16. So what does that mean? Does it, does this mean he changed back to L2? Oh, yeah, that's probably kind of a gray area. I'm not sure that a correction to the approval notice, like a correction to a typo on the approval notice would necessarily be considered a most recent I-797 for purposes of the last action rule. Um, that's more of just, you know, a correction of an error in the notice, and they would probably still consider it, consider that notice um, issued before the H-1B transfer was approved. Um, if his intention is to be an L-2, ultimately, um, I would recommend just to be safe to make it clear that he's an L-2. He can take that L-2 approval notice and go to Mexico or Canada for 30 days or less come back and re-enter in L2 status. Even if he does not have a valid visa stamp in his passport, he wouldn't need to go through the consulate. That would okay. be one way. But um, if, the, if the intention is for him to continue working without authorization, I assume you haven't gotten the EAD yet? Um, yeah, he hasn't got the EAD yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you probably heard, the L2 uh, individuals soon will be able to work without an EAD, but that's not in place yet. It's still going to take you, uh, the government, a few months to implement that. So if he wants to continue working right now for the company that filed the H-1B transfer, I would say he can probably continue with that for the next few months. Then when it's announced that the L-2 incident to status is being implemented, he could take the L-2 approval notice, um, go to Mexico, and come back in automatic revalidation. If by then it's all set up, then he should be able to work in L2 status once he re-enters. Okay, so the H1B visa is uh, on the passport stamping, right? It is expired. He has a, a I-797, valid I-797. So still he has to apply Mexico visa, tourist visa. He would not need to apply for a visa in Mexico. So okay. even if he has a visa, an H-1B visa in his passport that's expired, he could take that plus the L-2 I-797 approval notice. Okay. And with those two, um, come back into the country after less than 30 days in Mexico. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. Uh, next question. Sushant. Oh, uh, hi, Rebecca. Uh, see, my I-485 was filed last year. And this year, due to a personal emergency, I had to go to India, okay, uh, this August. And in September, what happened is the EAD AP got approved. And now I got an RFE from the USCIS saying that uh, uh, they have noticed that I have exited, departed the country, and they're asking for the documents of my entry back into the US, okay? But I have not come back into the US. Uh, so my question is, can I come back with the EAD AP? Because right now getting slots in India is very difficult and I'm applicable for the Dropbox, but still there are no slots available, okay? So can I enter back on the EAD AP and then produce the documents to them responding to the RFE? So is the RFE, um, is it issued based on the I-485 or is it for the form I-131? 
No, it's for the I-485. So they are saying you must provide the following information in order for us to make a final decision on your case. Okay. So um, I would, even though the EAD and advanced poll got approved, um, a lot of times that does kind of officially USCIS's policy is still that if you depart the US while the I-131 is pending, the I-131 can be denied. We have heard of cases like yours where the I-131 was approved, even though the applicant left the US while it was pending. It may just be that it, USCIS's travel record didn't have the most updated travel records at the time they processed the I-131, but it looks like they maybe have the update now, and is that's why they're sending you the RFE. I would say in your case, since you have that RFE and it sounds like USCIS is aware of your departure, that you should not use the advanced parole to re-enter the US because if they decide that that advanced parole is void, then that could have all sorts of problems. Basically, in order for your I-485 to not be considered abandoned, you will need to come back on your underlying non-immigrant visa status, which if it's H-1B, then unfortunately that will require you to get the H-1B visa stamp if it's expired right now and you know wait for either the Dropbox or a visa appointment. But I would say your situation that is much safer for preserving the I-485. They may still end up denying the I-131 or revoking the I-131 approval. Um, that's not too much of a big deal because you can just reapply for it later. What you want to make sure is that they don't consider the I-485 abandoned. And the way to make sure they don't do that is to come back in on H status. Okay. So, <clears throat> so the thing is, let us say if I don't get the dates, right, I have to respond to this RFE in the next 60 days. And if I don't yeah. get a date, then that complicates things, right? So then what do I do? Yeah, um, you can still respond to the RFE and just explain um, that you have not re-entered the U.S. yet, but that you are intending to in H-1B status or whatever your underlying status is, and that um, there is a memo from several years ago that says that the I-485 won't be considered abandoned if you leave and re-enter on that existing visa. Um, so if you're working with an attorney for your I-485, I, I would recommend having the attorney, you know, they can submit the response on your behalf, even if you're outside the country. Um, if you are able to come back in before the RFE is due, then, you know, you can just respond okay. with that. But if not, then just have your attorney respond with explaining that with the memo. Okay, thanks, Rafika. Sure. Next question. Shubangi? Um, yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, hi, Rebecca. Thank you for taking my question. Um, so my husband's I-140 got approved in August and then his H-1B extension was filed based on that. Um, but he had to leave the country for, uh, for personal reasons. And then uh, the H-1B got approved last month. So now um, he is Dropbox eligible, but... Um, I I heard that there are a lot of two to one G getting uh, issued when it comes to Dropbox. So is there a way that uh, he can opt for an interview instead of Dropbox? Is that an option, or is the two to one G issuance not um, not really related to whether it's Dropbox or not? Um. 
Yeah, we've heard the same about the 221Gs at the Dropbox. Um, yeah, it's the consulate doesn't really say the reason for the 221G. That's kind of the whole point of it. It's very vague. They just say administrative processing. So we don't know if there's actually some issue with the renewal applications of those individuals or if the consulate is just trying to buy themselves more time, which they very well may be doing because they're just very backlogged. Um, I would say though that the in-person interview may not be faster necessarily than um, just waiting on a 221G through the Dropbox because scheduling an in-person interview at a consulate is also very challenging depending on the consulate and the day, the earliest available appointment is either several weeks or months away. Mm -hmm. um, there's the option of doing either one. Um, I would say most people opt for the Dropbox because it is, if it goes through without a 221G, it can end up being much faster, but um, yeah, it, it is possible to get a 221G and in that case, you just have to wait. Um, I would say, it's hard to say which one will end up being faster. I would say the Dropbox probably still ends up being faster and I would usually lean towards that. But and but he still has the option of going for an interview, right? Even though he's Dropbox eligible? He can. Um, I believe, depending on where it is in the process, he may need to submit a new DS-160 in order to request a visa interview. Okay. And um, one more thing, since it was filed as an extension or a consular process, the uh, his a petition, the hard copy petition is currently um, in our um, employer, employer's office in, in the U.S. branch. So mm -hmm. I was wondering, and it's going to take time for, the, for that to, you know, reach India. So it, does he absolutely need the, the original hard copy, whether it's the interview or just a mm -hmm. photocopy of that would be put to no, we usually send the employees the electronic copy, they can print it there um, where they are to carry with them, but the consulates are supposed to get an electronic copy um, of the petition from USCIS um, through their system. So the consulate should get an electronic copy already from USCIS. Mostly we have the employees have a copy in their hand just in case the consulate can't access theirs for some reason, but they don't need the original at it can just be um, an electronic copy that is emailed to them. They can print it out there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Sure. Next question. Saptarishi. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm currently on L1 visa and my visa is actually expiring today and my company filed for an extension through USCS and uh, during the end of August, uh, like August 27 around. So um, my wife, uh, and they filed the extension for my L1B as well as my wife's L2 and EAD both mm -hmm. together. Now the question is about like, I, I can continue to work based on my, uh, I, I received the I-797 notice and my wife has also received for both EAD and the L2 extension. So I can continue to work, uh, but is it based on the recent developments is my wife, like she's also eligible and she can continue to work now? Um, I believe so. Let me see if, is Stephen Brown on the call? Sometimes he joins to provide updates on the, 
Okay. Um, I believe the auto extension policy also applies to the L2s. So if your wife's L2 status has been extended and it's just the I-765 that's still pending, then she should be able to continue working. But it sounds like, is her I-539 also still pending? Yes, like mine, my one is also still pending. Like I have not received a note. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say in her case, then the auto extension policy doesn't apply at this time until her L2 is extended and until oh. your L1 is extended. Um, later, kind of the advantage for L2s is that later she won't need an EAD at all. And then okay. as long as she's in L2 status, she can continue working, but that's still uh, a few months down the road for the government to implement. Um, but even under the auto extension policy that is in effect right now, it still requires um, the person's status to be already extended in order for the EAD auto renewal to go into effect. So it sounds like um, it won't apply in her case right now. Okay, so if I like my one, they're trying to file a premium processing. And is there a way that after I get my status updated, is there a way I can file a L2 premium processing? Is there any? So there's no premium processing option for the L2, but if they do upgrade your L1 to premium processing and it gets approved in a few weeks, um, technically, according to the auto extension policy, if your wife is able to get an L2 visa appointment, she could travel, get the L2 visa stamp and come back in with your extended L1 approval notice that would give her an extended L2, I-94. And at that point she could, the auto extension policy would apply even though her EAD card is still pending um, mm -hmm. because her L2 status has been extended. She could start working again right away upon re-entry. Um, but it would require travel oh, yeah. and getting the visa stamp, yeah. Okay, so is it like, like currently it's already filed through USCIS? So do we have to do anything else or she can directly, after I get my visa approved, she can directly use that petition notice and go out and take an appointment? Yeah, I would just keep the I-539 and I-765 for her pending. She doesn't need to do anything with it. Um, but once your L1 extension is approved, she can take that approval notice and go get visa stamping and then come okay. back in. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, next question. I think this will be the last one for today. Sure. Avinash? Oh, hi. Uh, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my question. So my wife uh, was working on H4 EAD uh, earlier in the year, uh, and which was due for uh, extension in, uh, uh, in uh, July. Uh, and so we filed for her H4 and H4 EAD extension. At the same time, uh, her employer filed for H1B uh, in April, which got approved after filing of H4 and uh, it got approved. And uh, so she switched over to H1 uh, in, from effective 1st October. Okay. So now what happens to the H4 and H4 uh, H4AD application, which is currently in process? Have they been withdrawn or are they still pending? They're still pending. Okay. Um, so if her intention is to continue in H1B status, I would withdraw the I-539 and I-765 because if they remain pending and then get approved, according to kind of that last action rule, it could basically change her status back to H4, which isn't really a problem as long as the I-765 gets approved at about the same time. 
um, or actually with the auto extension policy, she would be able to continue working in H4. So actually it doesn't make too much difference. It's sort of, yeah, so it's sort of up to her whether she wants to continue in H1B or return to H4. Um, yeah. If she wants to continue in H1B, then just withdraw the I-539 and I-765. So, yeah, so actually that was my follow-up question. So uh, what if we choose to, you know, actually uh, change it back to uh, H4? So if we don't withdraw the application and if it gets approved, uh, mm -hmm. will it be considered as continuation of H4 and then this auto extension for EAD, H4 EAD would apply to her? It should, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because so that, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a better uh, option. So then I would let that uh, continue. And once that gets approved, her uh, she would lose her H1B status and uh, she will yeah. get on H4. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and uh, uh, what if um, she again wants to uh, go back to H4 just in case uh, this um, pending H4 gets denied? So will it be a new H4 uh, application? Um, yes, for some reason, if this pending one gets denied, she can file a new change of status application. And then will she be considered for the auto extension of H4 EAD or how Not until that? the H4 is approved. So you need the extended H4 approval notice or the I-94, basically. So she could also travel, get the H4 visa stamp and come in um, to do the auto extension. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. So we'll end the conference here for today. The next one will be on Monday at 3.30. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day. Thank you.